the landscape now seems to be getting, I'd say, slightly better, but not to the point where we're prepared to start making more favorable changes within our credit policy. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. Seven Figure Flipping is on a mission to help serious investors do more deals, make more money, work fewer hours, and get their lives back. Here's your host, Seven Figure Flipping CEO, Bill Allen. All right, Ray, you ready to get going? I am. So uh, welcome, everybody. We've got uh, like... Uh, we got quite a few people on this call, and I know that we're also streaming live on Facebook inside of our seven-figure housekeeping and wholesaling group. It's got somewhere around like 5,000 people, so we got people watching from there. If you're watching on there, welcome. Um, we'll also try to figure out how to get this uh, replay out to some of you guys if you have to drop off or aren't joining or whatever that is. So, um, obviously, we kind of went out to the seven-figure flipping community and everybody that follows us and said, do you guys want to do some Q&A with uh, Hard Money Lender? And obviously, we have a great relationship with you at Lending Home Ray and what you guys do there with some of our mastermind groups and some of the lending programs that we've set up over the past few years. And so what I wanted to do is kind of uh, everybody, Ray reached out to me and said, uh, do you think that it would be valuable for the community to just ask some, like answer some questions and do some things uh, together? And I said, yeah, absolutely. We were going to do a podcast, but we figured this would be a better way. We can stream it live on Facebook. We can uh, possibly kind of uh, put it out on the podcast if needed. But really, instead of just me asking Ray the questions that I have, we can also um, ask the questions that you guys might have in your business uh, real time. So um, what, what the structure of this call will take about like 30 minutes or so for Ray and I to just talk. I'll ask some of the questions that I have. Any questions that Ray's been getting over and over and over again by individuals, you guys know the best way for us to handle that is to get out to the world and talk about it so you guys can have it kind of straight from the horse's mouth. And then we'll take 30 minutes and I'll kind of queue up the questions that you guys have and I'll moderate this a little bit. So um, real quick, Ray, why don't you kind of introduce yourself for those of the people on the call who don't know you, maybe a quick uh, you know, short snippet of who you are, and then I'll do the same, and then we'll just jump into it. All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I've been at Lending Home just over five and a half years, so spent the first three running all of operations uh, internally, um, kind of building them up from a 50-person uh, outfit to a rather large $150 million plus uh, a month um, you know, largest fix and flip lender in the space. Now in my role as a director, um, I work with more experienced operators, trying to educate them on, you know, the different opportunities of how to use institutional money to help scale their business. There's, when you're working with successful people, they've already found money. Now it's just a way of being able to um, help them understand the construct of how a lending home or a lender like us can help them within their business, both from a process flow standpoint, um, saving standpoint, from a cost of funds standpoint, and then uh, leverage. So, and then obviously technology, which is, um, I'm not going to say an ancillary benefit, but it has been a huge benefit how we've been set up from a technology standpoint going into this uh, work from home environment. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm excited to jump in and kind of hear some of that stuff because we've heard kind of differing um, things from different lenders. A lot of our, you know, uh, uh, let me give my background. I'll talk about like why, uh, why we hear this stuff. So my name is Bill Allen. If you guys don't know who I am, I'm a wholesaler and flipper. I run a company called Blackjack Real Estate. We're in kind of the Southeast, Pensacola, uh, Florida, Nashville, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, we just went into kind of Huntsville, Alabama and Bowling Green, Kentucky, kind of those states in the Southeast. And then um, I also own the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind Group. So most of you guys know me from there. And if you don't know me, then that's uh, kind of 
where I get a lot of my information from. So we're a network of uh, flippers and wholesalers. That's pretty much all we do. And uh, all around the country, anywhere from ne never done a deal to try to get their first deal to doing hundreds of deals a year. Uh, my company, Blackjack, we will probably do somewhere in the 160 to 170 range of deals this year. Mostly wholesale deals, about 80% wholesale, and then maybe like 20% uh, fix and flip. So that's kind of my background. I use that network of people to kind of feel the pulse of what's going on. Um, obviously, like I said in the beginning, we have a great relationship with Lending Home. A lot of our clients inside the Mastermind Group use uh, Lending Home to fund a lot of their deals. So I know that Ray and I, kind of that Monday, that a lot of you got an update of what's happening in the lending space when the stock market crashed by like 13% uh, in, in, in an hour that morning, and you were getting emails and stuff. Ray and I had talked on Friday about what's potentially coming. And so we were notified of that. And a lot of our borrowers, like some of the people that are in my world are the people that you're talking about that do some of the higher volume fix and flip uh, yep. loans. So that's kind of my world and my space. So I can answer some of those questions that you guys might have of like, how does this, like, what are you seeing? What's happening? And I know that a lot of you were probably on the webinar that I did two weeks ago, telling you kind of the sta state of my company and what I'm seeing. And I, I basically aggregate information from a lot of other people, wholesalers and flippers. So I kind of have the pulse around the country, thankfully enough, from the mastermind group. And it's kind of like my insurance policy too, that I see some of them and their markets. And everything is very um, local right now, it seems. So a lot of the stay-at-home orders are different from state to state, city to city, all that stuff. So I have some of that background if you guys have any of those questions. Um, but why don't we, I'll just kind of throw it over to you, Ray. And why don't you maybe talk about some of like the, I don't know, state of the union kind of thing from lending home and some of the, like what you guys are seeing in the lending space and then some of the questions that you've gotten and I'll just kind of jump in as I need to. Yeah, I, th I think, uh, you know, everybody's world got rocked, including ours uh, on March 23rd when um, I think there were lenders leading up to that that were, you know, correcting guidelines, changing guidelines, et cetera. And it, it was abrupt. It wasn't something that a three or four or five day period where we thought certain things were going to happen. It was over a weekend. We needed to make a decision because uh, whole loan purchases in this, in the fix and flip market shut off. And so um, what that means is anybody that was selling loans to a wall street company um, from a fix and flip standpoint, they no longer had purchasers. It would be like nobody buying homes. <laughs> I mean, and it, it was it was overnight. So, um, you know, so what we're what we're seeing is most of the companies that are still lending uh, are in an environment where they had either set up, uh, you know, outside of U.S. funds, private money, or uh, they fund loans into a securitization. But to give some people some perspective, I mean, the mark leading up to that weekend, I think the market was very strong. Um, there was very good credit quality. Uh, I think the one thing that I've tried to impress upon folks that I've been speaking with is this was not generated by like a credit breach, right? Which happened, you know, back in 2002, 2006, 2007, where when they looked back, there was a lot of um, impropriety and poor credit decisioning and layering of risk, zero down, no money verification for, for income, very little reserves, et cetera. That isn't the case here. Um, it was you know, really driven by this pandemic um, and the, the effect of it, right? So people losing jobs, 
and Wall Street really being in a position to ineffectively price loans correctly, right? So imagine you going into a home just going whatever, right, from a purchase price. And so you're not going to have a large variance of what you will accept. And so from a secondary marketing standpoint, uh, these companies basically went from, you know, paying, you know, one or two or three points to lenders for their business in this pool of loans to uh, accepting bids of, you know, 85 cents on the dollar, 90 cents on the dollar. So you're originating the same good quality loan and now you have to pay somebody to buy it versus them paying you to buy it. So that business model obviously is broken as soon as you say those words. So there were some, you know, companies that thought that they could, I, I think, hunker down, scale back significantly, but at the end of the day, all you're doing is originating a loss leader. And so they had to make, a lot of lenders had to make the decision to temporarily stop doing business. Um, thankfully, um, outside of just the technology piece of lending home, being able to, you know, go to an immediate work from home environment, which people were doing already, uh, and we had already built a very, um, I think, strong technology infrastructure for our borrowers and for our employees as well. That part was seamless. Uh, so there, it was, there was no notice of difference as it relates to doing business with Lending Home. Uh, the biggest thing was um, we did not know the depth of the issue relative to the secondary market. Right, so even though we, and this is public knowledge, so that's why I'm mentioning it, we sell loans into a, a pre-structured securitization. So it's like having a fixed rate line of credit, right? And so, and it's relatively large because of our previous performance and quality based on the companies that have, you know, issued those securitizations to us, but they're not limitless, right? And so when we, if we need to go back into the market to, um, structure another one or go into a whole loan environment, um, we needed to make the decision on that Monday, March 23rd of what does our new pool of business need to look like to A, preserve capital long enough to where we think this um, basically freeze of capital is going to last. And we didn't anticipate it to last, you know, 30 days or so. We anticipated it to be 60, 90, 120 plus days. So you, we made a very, very abrupt decision. And I know several of your uh, members uh, felt that, right? Where they had an active loan and all of a sudden they were getting a, a, a non-favorable call from somebody at Lending Home. Um, and and that, that, that was not a good couple of days on either side of the phone. Um, we have subsequently been able to adjust uh, some prices, some leverage, et cetera, to some customers where it made them feel a little bit better, but not necessarily whole again. And one of the reasons why we cut so deeply is we did not want to nick and scrape uh, our customers over a, an extended period of time, right? One week we dropped a little bit, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. It, it really would reek of you don't know your business and you don't know the industry that your business is in. So we cut deep and then I think improved a little bit. So, the, right, because April was that originating, first origination month after kind of the crash, if you will, uh, and then what will May look like. So um, my anticipation is that you know, the market isn't going to be in a, in a, in a position to accept the, the lenders that are currently uh, out of the space to 
come you know swiftly back into the market. I think it's going to be an extended period of time, um, and that's just from a fix and flip standpoint. Um, you know, from a rental standpoint, that market's completely evaporated. Uh, there's no rental business being done that isn't being done directly through either a bank, a credit union, or a direct lender like you know Quicken or Loan Depot, um, and that is because. Um, you know, the capital markets that were buying all of those loans, they cannot, with any degree of certainty, price those loans out correctly. Uh, and they're certainly not going to come out and say, well, we'll price a 30-year fixed run alone at 13 and 3, right? They're not going to do that. So um, until they have an idea around uh, the capital infrastructure, the, the, a better certainty around unemployment, um, that market is really going to be continued to be dried up. And I would say that we probably, from an industry standpoint, will have maybe better visibility mid-May on how and when that rental program could come back. I think it will. Um, I, I caution people that it will not, again, this is kind of raise opinion based on feedback that I understand from capital markets experts. It will not, it, it will not look anything like it did in March leverage so, uh, credit so, policy. So I think uh, just to give everybody some context here, if you're not in this, like if you weren't plugged into this and getting like loans changed or pulled or things like that throughout this time, basically what we saw inside of our, the mastermind group is we have 100% of the purchase price, 100% of the rehab at some sort of favorable rate, like a, a, a rate sheet, right? And then so on March 23rd, if that was the Monday, it was like the light switch, like just went click and kind of went off. And um, kind of to, to like look back behind the curtain, um, it sounds like it was because just the people who were buying those loans, so everybody kind of knows, should know how loans work typically. The per, like you guys are ha actually sell these, like package them and sell them to some Wall Street, a fund, something like that. And if they just stop buying, then you have no customer. And it's the same th way the banks do business too. You see, you've seen some of the banks raise their, their, their credit, the minimum credit scores, change guidelines, things like that, basically making it a little bit tougher to to borrow money from them. So what we saw was we saw instead of a, like go from a hundred percent purchase and a hundred percent of the rehab down to 80% of the purchase and a hundred percent of the rehab. And then also like uh, slapping on some fees, like $4,000 in fees right out of the gate. And people had uh, loans in process that were like, Whoa, like I can't believe they're doing this to me. Like they're pulling the rug out from under me like a week from closing. Yep. And I was planning for this. So they had to go raise money. So what we did inside the mastermind group was we just like jumped in and said, okay, let me teach you how to raise private money in three days. Let me, let's, let's go figure out how to raise that 20% so you don't have to worry about it. And, um, and so we kind of had to go to work and then you and I talked and it was only a few days before we got some more favorable terms. So I guess for my question is, what does that do? Like that 20% of the purchase price chop, is that because you, you guys, uh, like in my mind, I, like you have you have, we have more skin in the game, but it seems like you would still be um, selling those loans. So maybe the, the people that are buying the loans, you just need to make a bigger spread off of that in order to sell it for the price that they're buying it for. So there was still some appetite to buy that on the secondary market. It just wasn't as favorable terms for you guys. Yeah. So that's a good question. So we're still not selling loans into the secondary market. We are funding them into the securitization that we created. So that's still taking place. The anticipation though is these loans that are currently in the securitization will pay off in you know four, six, seven, eight months, right? So they're going to sort of outgrow the current securitizations that we've already structured. And so our the mindfulness that we have is when we 
restructure and, and sort of re-sign up for the next securitization, what will that loan profile need to look like for us to get the most favorable terms, right? So if it was just simply what fits in the existing securitization, then we wouldn't have had to make any changes. But we also have to preserve our capital because even though our, our cost was somewhat fixed in the securitization, the capacity was not, or was also, right? And so if, if your volume outpaces your payoffs, which you would hope they would, right? If it, that means you're growing, um, then you would basically outgrow the, the, the size of that particular securitization, right? Which was, I, I think we had, we had built, I, I think a couple at a hundred million a piece. And so, um, that's what we're, and then so what we're also planning on, if we have to go to an alternative source of funding, right back to whole loan sales, what appetite would people have and what would, the, again, the loan profile need to look like from us to them so that we could get more favorable terms, right, and, and, and at least keep our business um, um, profitable. And so, so those were all of the when, – when you don't know what somebody's going <laughs> to – from a cost standpoint, you have to guess. And so when you said, you know, we, we slapped – good word, I'll use that, uh, the $4,000 fee on and the rates, et cetera, you know, then all of a sudden we had three or four days to really kind of have that season and simmer and went, okay, we probably went a bit deep uh, and a bit punitive so we can peel that back. And we did uh, rather, rather quickly. I mean, within three days, it felt like three weeks, right? All of, all of what was going on, but we're still, we still don't know what that cost will be and what that requirement will be in in the future of, of, of when whole loan sales actually opens up because what you have to look at is those wall street companies instead of investing in fix and flip loans which inherently have more risk than a consumer mortgage loan they're going to go be able to get a good quality loan that they can go buy for 70 or 85 cents on the dollar with the same quality why would they go pay 102 and 103 for good quality when they can go and get it at 75 cents, 80 cents, 85 cents on the dollar. So that's kind of the first direction those Wall Street companies are going to go. That will dry up, right? Because it's not an infinite amount of loans that are going to be sort of adversely affected like that. Then they'll turn to, okay, let's reinvest in this market, this fix and flip market. And where will we pay? What did that, what does that credit profile and borrower profile need to look like? Yeah. That's so I think that makes it, yeah, that's what it makes a lot, doing. makes a lot of sense because if, I guess I think this is help. It's helpful for me at least. So hopefully it's helpful for everybody on the call in understanding like what has to happen behind the scenes. Like you guys are running a business as well. So what you're doing is you're having to anticipate the future market and what that's going to bear. And so you're de-risking what you guys are doing on the front end because you're going to have to turn around and in the future kind of figure it out. You're, you're, I mean, it, all the wholesalers on the call, we know exactly what that's like. Like right now we're trying to figure out what the flipper will pay before we go in the house. And it's a little bit uncertain right now. So what are we doing? We're trying to buy a little bit deeper in anticipation that that buyer is, is not going to pay as much as they would, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago or a month ago. So yeah. it, makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so hopefully that's helpful for you guys that are listening because if you understand their business model, then it's not as painful maybe when you hear it and you start understanding how it works and, and, and getting it. And then deciding, you know, is this work for me? Because it's interesting because one of our mastermind members, I'll give him a shout out, is Glenn. He basically said, no problem. Like I just have to buy $4,000 cheaper on the purchase price. So I'll just go in and offer $5,000 less and, and renegotiate that. So I'm building this into my, my numbers. Like if I know that I have to pay this $4,000 fee, 
then I'm going to go in and I'm just going to renegotiate. He's like, it just, it was epiphany that I had of this is just going to force me to be better at buying. So um, he kind of changed the way that he was thinking instead of like throwing rocks, he said, okay, well, how can I fix it? And I think that's what a lot of us are going through right now. So, um, okay. And, and what else, what other kind of questions are you getting right now before I kind of jump into some of these questions that they may have? I have a couple more too. Um, you know, you know, when, when do we, I mean, on, in a general sense, obviously, when do we think that this thing's going to, um, when is it going to be like business as usual kind of a thing? When do we think that I, we, you know, we anticipate this is going to be a, potentially 60, 90, 120 day run as it relates to uh, capital markets being frozen, right? That doesn't mean that we think that after 120 days, it will be back to normal. Uh, it, it will take 18 months to get somewhat back to like what it felt like in March, right? As it relates to trajectory of business, um, confidence in the capital markets that uh, delinquencies did not spike, Right. So every lender is looking at really two things. One is what are the payments each and every month? You have basically two at one opportunity each month. Are people paying us and then payoffs as people finish projects and sell homes are is our run rate the same as it relates to um, those projects paying off? And so, you know, the good news is April was a very good month as it relates to projections. Right. So what we thought would happen was better. Um, um, so that's good. So we were a bit conservative on that. I think May and June will be good tests for us. So I, I, I don't have any anticipation on that because you can't guess. We only, we speculated, which is how we came at our, you know, leverage cost and rate, uh, decisions. Um, I think one thing that a lot of people ask is from a valuation standpoint, you're a lender. Are you guys just like, um, looking at a valuation of a property because we still do not require uh, you know, for experienced qualified borrowers uh, and appraisal prior to closing. So we're still using that scope of work. We're still using the data from the market. So if the data in the market says that, you know, a home with those renovations, uh, uh, you know, is, is a range is like 310 to 330, uh, but more of the value is closer to 310 to 315, we're probably going to come in at 310, 315. But what we're not doing is saying the range is 310 to 330, we're gonna cut 310 by five to 10% and we're gonna come in at 270. Like we're not doing that. So if the market data supports, wherever it supports, that's, that's where we're coming in because we're not, we're not, we don't anticipate a, 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 a pop in value, right? Just a complete burst of that for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, the main one is there was low inventory going into this pandemic. Now there's significantly lower, lower inventory. Um, you know, the first time home buyer market got better. Um, I think the, 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 the market that we're probably looking at more closely is the, the move up buyer market. So depending upon where that is regionally. Um, and what we are also looking at is what are the consumer mortgage lenders doing relative to their credit, credit policies, right? So for the most part, they haven't changed from a consumer standpoint. VA and FHA, and for, for some reason, increased their FICO thresholds, which, which threw me for a loop uh, why they would do that. So um, because I don't necessarily think that how somebody has paid over the last 16 to 18 months has anything to do with whether or not they are going to keep their job, right? That's, you feel that, like that's a little bit of that is just to try to, like take on less borrowers and like underwrite less loans. It is. 
it, 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 they're doing exactly what we did, which is they're anticipating what, you know, and when, when they pull loans into sort of a bond, right. They, they want to, they at least want to th- that thing to at least be, you know, par or better uh, as opposed to, you know, funding all of these loans and then basically having to take a loss leader on, you know, $150 billion worth of loans. So th- that that's the reason, but it, it's just one of those things that like our $4,000 thing didn't make sense that, FICO increase in the moment doesn't make sense. Uh, will they soften that? I don't know. We softened ours because, I, lack of a better phrase, we came to our senses, <laughs> right? So yeah. through evaluation and, and accounting help and finance help, et cetera. So, so uh, one question that I have here is you guys went down from 100 to 80% and then you went, um, you, you kind of, after a couple of days, that changed a little bit. So where, where did you guys land? What's it like now for somebody maybe who, uh, maybe from the different programs, you guys increased your credit limit a little bit, credit score, um, you guys changed the leverage and then did you change fees? And then where do they sit now? And so specifically for what borrower cohort? Let's, let's go to the, um, to the experienced person first and then we can, I have another question here that would kind of, um, somebody asked, do you guys do loans to somebody who's never flipped a house before? So let's go to the experienced borrower first. Yeah. What does that look like? And then maybe like in the mastermind and out of the mastermind, if that helps. So our minimum uh, FICO score is 660 across the board now. Yeah, it was uh, 620. Uh, so we increased that to 660 again because the anticipation of people buy, needing alternative sources for capital, um, we felt that that when we looked at our book of business, that made a significant difference relative to default, right? And so we, we, we were able to kind of skim the potential ones that may default in that 620 to 660 cohort. Um, so we, we, we felt that our book of business improved. Um, right now to experienced folks that have flipped five or more properties in the last 24 months, you know, we're lending at 80% of acquisition, 100% of rehab. Um, if they're uh, a member of seven figures, that's 90% of acquisition and 100% of rehab. And so, and then we are a very FICO driven now scoring model relative to in this environment. So 660 or better is going to have one uh, range of price and then 720 or better is going to have a slightly improved probably by 50 basis points. Uh, if an operator already had an origination point structure, we've kept that. So we did not, we did not uh, change that at all. And then the loan fee or junk fee or servicing fee, whatever word, you know, the, the, the folks like to use, it's 999. So it's a thousand bucks. And so um, that is going forward um, in the foreseeable future, how that is structured. So uh, how people should look at it as is, regardless of experience, we're going to require 20% down, right? So whether they've flipped zero properties or to your point earlier, a hundred, we're requiring 20% down. So if there are five or more flips in the last 24 months and they happen to be a seven figure member, then they're at 10% down versus 20% down. That's, that's kind of the cuts that we've made relative to our programs. Okay. And that $4,000 fee uh, came back to a thousand for everybody. Yep. Okay. All right, cool. Um, and then, so somebody asked, oh, Everybody go ahead. who has five or more flips, if they have less than five flips, it's two grand. Okay, 2,000 with less than five. So I think that answered, somebody asked, um, is having flip, uh, flipped a house a requirement for lending home to get a loan? Um, and the answer is no. Nope, just FICO, basically. Okay, awesome. Um, let's see, the next one is, uh, Eric had a question saying the biggest, uh, let's see, 
when uh, uh, stated loans and refinances will come back or what will be the alternative for burr or safety nets on flips? Let me see if I understand that question. Um, maybe you might need to rewrite that one, Eric. Um, uh, if and when stated loans and refinances come back. Um, so do, do you guys, you guys, uh, you guys How don't I do. That is, 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 is because it's tagged with the burr. The, the, the rental program that we had did not require income documentation mm. uh, and it did not require uh, any type of reserves. Um, we went up to an 80 loan to value. Um, I anticipate when the rental program returns, which it will. Um, and I think, and it will, my opinion, at least during the summer, could be as early as late May, could be in June or July, but it will return. Um, we still will not require income documentation. Um, the reserve piece, I think, is the one that will change. There'll either be a reserve requirement or there'll be an interest payment escrow requirement, meaning either lending home or, or some facility will have to house three months or four months or six months. I'm making up the numbers, but from a concept standpoint, I believe that the quicker that program comes back, that element has to be a piece for the investors that are buying loans from lenders, right? Because they're knowingly lending money to someone that might have a tenant lose their job, right? So does that person have sort of the, the, the financial stamina to withstand that? And their definition of financial stamina might be three months or six months worth of payments escrowed somewhere, right? With the lender or somewhere it'll probably be with the lender. That would be my, my, my guesstimate. And then leverage probably won't come out the gate being as high as it was. So if you're, if you had some lenders that were maybe doing 80% cash out, that might be peeled back to 75 or 70. Um, again, initially. So I think the program will come out in bits and pieces. I think bad change always happens abruptly and then good corrections always happen slowly. And that's, I think what we're going to see. Yeah. And if anybody's in the commercial space on this call, you've seen, you saw that even happen with like Fannie Mae. They, they're, they're requiring a heavy reserves on larger commercial buildings, um, like six months plus in reserves on top of what they were already requiring. I mean, we, we're doing a deal right now um, for $12 million and it added another nearly million dollars to the, to our raise of capital that we had to come up with. So it was, it was painful. So yeah. Um, let's see, uh, Daniel asked, and I don't know if you can answer this. Uh, he said, what funds are buying loans now? So I, I don't know if it's something that you can even share with us. I mean, n unless somebody, I mean, there's, there's a lot of local regional hard money lenders that are still operational. Um, you know, so they've either raised funds or have private money, et cetera. But if, if, if you were a lender in the U S and you were selling whole loans, nobody's buying them. Like, Nobody is buying them. So, and so there's, that's why there's fewer lenders. And so cer certainly what I've, the feedback that I've gotten from borrowers that, that use private money, right? So I would say maybe 20 to 30% of those private um, uh, investors actually pulled away, um, either pulled out or pulled significantly away, but then 60 to 70% of them, not only are still, 
providing uh, your your operators good capital, they actually even want more in, right? It's just like, wow, this is real estate. This is an opportunity. I see it as a good opportunity. So it's certainly not all funding sources dried up. So to your point, when you said, hey, let's go raise funds, here's a, here's a three-day you know, kind of lunch and learn, if you will, on how to go do that. There's absolutely people that want to invest in a tangible asset like real estate and especially residential real estate in an environment like this. Uh, just not everybody, but for the most part, most people are. So again, unless you're getting your money outside of the U.S. or through our securitization and you're a larger institutional lender, you are not lending money. Okay. Yep. Um, let's see. There's a couple other. Uh, he said the same, same, same guy, uh, Daniel said, um, you know, um, they were selling at close to 95 cents on the dollar before. And I think you mentioned 85 cents on the dollar or something like that in the beginning. Maybe Daniel missed it. Um, so yeah, one I mean, of the first, nice. first yeah. position with no seasoning selling for. So, yeah. okay. Um, let's see. Um, a couple questions on that. Uh, the number of, uh, of flips, like how to get to five. So defining five flips, uh, uh, Jaime said, do we show that we bought the house and then sold the house? Uh, what about if it hasn't sold yet? Will a JV count as one of your flips? So how do you guys define those five? And then this, another one of our members asked, uh, do rentals count or what does that look like? Yep. So this is where I would say, get your pen and pencil out. So uh, one of the, I think, frustrating things I feel if I was a borrower is just the lack of standardization that hard money lenders have as it relates to how they calculate experience, right? It's a, I think it's a bummer. Um, so there's certainly opportunity if a lender does it a little bit more favorably. I'm not going to say that we do it more favorably or less favorably, but so what we look at is very simple. Last 24 months, and from like today's date, we look back, the property had to have sold in the last 24 months. So the sale date after you acquired the property had to have been in the last 24 months. Second, the exit price that you resold the property for has to be greater than $50,000. Third, the operator or the entity had to have taken title to the property and held title greater than 30 days. And then from the acquisition date to the resale date, that time frame has to be 36 months or less. That's all of the qualifications. I can certainly get into the how sausage is made, why we do that, probably unnecessary for like the general folks, but that is what we look at from an underwriting perspective to either count or not count. So a rental refinance would not count because the property wasn't sold. Um, if somebody went in on a JV arrangement, more than likely they provided the money or the, the, the sweat equity, but their buddy, right, took title. Their buddy is the one that basically in lending homes eyes flipped that property. So unfortunately, that sort of cocktail napkin JV arrangement, it, it won't, won't help them as it relates to experience with lending home. Unless they're the buddy that took title. Unless they're the buddy that took title. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so you also got uh, the, obviously that that kills this, a lot of the double closings that wholesalers do, yeah, like hold it for two days, the 30 days. So just, it's it's pretty obvious. Like, are you are you buying houses, fixing them up? And, and even like wholesales seem to fit there. You buy it, you put it on the MLS, you own it for 45 days and it's yep. done. So right. um, cool. The, Let's see. Somebody asked, are you lending in Indiana yet? So I'm assuming the answer is no. And you're probably not. I know the last time we talked, it's like, hey, when are you going to expand into my state? We're looking at doing that. This doesn't really seem like the time where you guys are going to be looking for business development in new states. But um, no, um, we there. There are eight states that we're actually pursuing in 2020. Indiana is one of them. Uh, Wisconsin is one of them. 
Uh, just spoke to our buddy Jeremiah. Uh, Kansas is one of them. Uh, so we had a nice conversation this morning. So finally had some good news for him. Um, there are obviously five others. I'm not, I'm not sure which ones they are. Uh, those are the ones that have been asked for like the most from like large groups of people. Um, but the, the other five, I, I can't speak to, but I know okay. top of my head. I knew those were three. And I, I figured we get the question of like, what States do you guys, uh, uh, lend in is the best way for them to find that, to go to lending homes website and see believe, all the States. I that they, they can find it there. It's, we're in, we're in 26 States. Okay. And yeah, we're not going to list them all here. So if that's your question, um, uh, I'm going to, there's a couple questions in here that, that are asking that. Yep. So, um, you can go to their website. It's just lendinghome.com. Yeah. Okay. And check that out. Uh, Jefferson said he joined late. Uh, is there any interest reserve needed upfront for members of seven figure flipping? If yes, how many months? We don't, uh, we don't have a reserve requirement at all or a liquidity requirement at all for, from a lending standpoint. So the, the, the two, I, somebody said hoops. I like that term. The two hoops people have to jump through are flipping experience and FICO. And then obviously we'll review corporate documents, but those are the only two hoops. The only time that we really get into a liquidity or reserve um, uh, question or verification is we approve folks at $2 million of funding capacity. So if they want to go above that, that's when the liquidity would have to come out. And usually most of the states like Midwest, East Coast, people are going through property so quickly, $2 million is not that, that big of a deal. When it has been, then reserves have been verified and funding capacity has been increased. Awesome. Uh, another question, no formal appraisal like process with lending home. What about fees? Those kind of things. If you can just go to the appraisal appraisal portion of a loan. Yeah. So the, the junk fees that I mentioned, a thousand bucks and 2000 bucks, those are inclusive of either the pre-funding or the post-funding appraisal. And so if you're at five plus flips, we do not have a pre-funding um, appraisal need. Uh, we get that after we fund. So that way, uh, we use our technology to help accelerate the closing, right? So we're not, we're not having to facilitate an inspection and waiting for an appraisal report for operators that are more experienced. And so, whereas um, the lesser experienced operators definitely have that either a hybrid appraisal, BPO, whatever you want to call it, but we need that prior to closing. Uh, and in this environment, that could be, you know, five to seven to 10 days to 10 to 12 to 15 days. So usually if you have five or less flips, I would account for 30 days from I've got this contract. When can I close? Whereas if you're five plus flips and you're already approved, I would say, depending upon how fast we can get title, it could be as fast as seven, six, or even five days. Awesome. Yeah. We funded some, some loans really fast. So that speed is not necessarily changed in this environment that you've seen. Nope. Okay. Um, here's, I got a couple on like FICO scores. Let me just run through them really quick. So I, you got a business, two people on the LLC. One of them has a really good FICO score. One of them doesn't. So one person's got an 800, one's got 640. How do you handle that? And then just to follow on with that, multi-member LLC where each member has done flips in like separate entities before. Are you pulling that into this entity as experience? Yeah. So I'll answer the first one. So as long as in the multi-member entities, as long as an uh, entity member is at least a 25% member, that person can be the guarantor. The guarantor's FICO is the only one we pull. So the suggestion would be if that 800 FICO person's at least 25% member, that person, that, that's an obvious no-brainer. They're, they're going to get the benefit of, uh, A, 
meeting our 660 threshold and then B, the, the, the benefit of the 720 plus uh, uh, pricing. And then secondly, on your question, if you had multi-members and they have flipping history prior to the entity that they just structured, yes, every single one of those members, we will pull their experience from the last 24 months toward credit. So yes. Okay. What about uh, debt to income ratio and tax returns? Do you guys look at that stuff? No. Okay. We don't, um, require, uh, we don't require any tax returns. The only time I've ever asked for a tax document is when nobody could prove like ownership percentage and it, they, like they gave me a K1 to go, hey, I own 50% or 100%, but we didn't use it for income, right? So we're not asking for 1040s or 1120s or anything like that. There's no, so thus, there's no debt to income ratio. Yeah, why would you, if you have a partnership, why would you have an operating agreement or to show? I mean, you don't need that, right? Uh, okay, what's, a, uh, what's your longest loan term for flipping? Uh, 24 months. So we have a 12 and 18 and a 24 month. Uh, the 18 and 24 months are 50 basis points higher in rate than the 12 month. And so what I've seen in the last 30, probably 30 days, actually two weeks probably, is people going in into 18 to 24 month where they, they genuinely have a rental program or uh, property. And they're using that 18 or 24 month term to bridge the gap to when they feel the rental market will get back, right? So, so they don't want to force themselves to, oh my gosh, I have to make a decision to either extend at, at a cost or refinance again into another you know, loan like this. I might as well just make the decision because there's no prepayment penalty on the 12, 18 or 24 months. So if things uh, return back quicker than normal, yeah, you paid 50 basis points extra on a you know, hopefully lower loan amount, $160,000 loan for a period of time. And um, now you get to refinance into a rental loan. So, um, and, and you, it, it, is that an assumption that you're making that they're doing that with a rental for two years? Or are they telling you that they're doing they're it as a rental? They're telling us that. And that's okay. You guys don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Okay. You just know that they have to pay you in two years. Yeah. I mean, at some point they have to have an exit, right? It's either going yeah. to sale, but at least it from a strategic standpoint, it buys them more time. Um, and more than likely in this market, if they're forced to sale, let's say the rental market doesn't come back, more than likely their equity in that property went up. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned something earlier when you talk, we're talking a little bit about kind of doom and gloom on the lending side. And I think a lot of that is tied to the Wall Street world, like the stock market and things. What, what I see is that you, you mentioned the fact that we were at a very low inventory going into this. And I know if you guys weren't on the webinar that I did two weeks ago or uh, haven't listened to the podcast, the Seven Figure Flipping podcast or anything, and some of the, the other like, Facebook lives that I've been doing is what I've seen, you know, when we look at our numbers inside of most of our uh, cities and states that we're flipping in, for every one house that's going pending, it's like a half that's going back on the market. So like our inventory is going way down now. And, and our houses are fixed up. They're really nice. They're also vacant and easy to show. And so they're really moving like uh, most of our mastermind members right now, like right now, okay, you're listening to this on April 23rd is their stuff is moving for at or above asking price and really, really fast, even in states that are pretty much shut down. So it's really amazing to see that. And now keep in mind, a lot of these people are in that first time home buyer. This is not luxury. This isn't multi-million dollar homes. And that's really my advice is that's where you should be flipping anyway, unless that's what you do. And you do 10 like multi-million dollar houses per year. But um, it, it's, it's really good sign right now of what we see. Like I, you mentioned, like we hope they keep making their payments. We've paid off almost all of our loans recently. We actually have so much money right now that we paid off another one because I didn't want to pay for any extension or fees or any of that stuff. So what I've seen is a lot of that, those houses are moving. So I don't want this to be kind of like doom and gloom because it's more of that 
like the context that you should be hearing this is more from the secondary market buying these like and just being a little bit uncertain about what's going to happen and waiting it out a little bit and kind of using more break. Um, whereas, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit bullish right now for what I want to do. We are being cautious. And that kind of takes me into this next uh, question, which is how are you guys adjusting your ARVs? Are you doing anything standard like dropping by a certain percentage of um, what you're expecting? I know you guys are doing kind of like tabletop um, uh, evaluations first. Are you guys actually putting in some sort of reduction at all or an expectation on that? Yeah, so I, I tried to mention that a little bit earlier. I mean, th there is no um, embedded cushion that we're using. Um, I, I, we are, like I said, if, if we had the luxury of seeing a variance in value, but the predominant values are closer to the lower end, we're probably going to be conservative on the lower end. Um, but there is no pad where we see that the, the variance is, you know, between three and 350. And then we're going to go, not only we're going to start at three and then reduce from there. That, that, that is not something that we're doing. So uh, we're still using the market data that's there until it tells us not that, that it's not. And so to your point earlier, I mean, we are seeing in, in almost every region, multiple offers, especially in the first time home buyer market. But again, that first time home buyer market is relative to the region, right? And so, um, but here, even in California, I mean, there's certainly a slow down from an inventory standpoint, but when things are going to market and they're, you know, in that certain price range, they're, they're gone. So, yeah. And so uh, it's uh, Matt Kimball is one of our members in, in Seattle. So I think arguably Seattle is one of the uh, hardest hit cities uh, next mm -hmm. to New York and California and some of these different areas. But he said, we just got an asking price offer on his flip in four days. So really awesome to hear that. So good job, Matt. Um, and I know he's asking a lot of the questions of like, man, I'm so close to that five. Um, I really want to get this uh, better term. So uh, another question, can you briefly explain the rehab draw process that you guys use? The, I mean, the rehab draw process is it's a, it's a construction draw process. So it's basically reimbursement for work done. So I'll use numbers. So if you, if you have a $25,000 rehab, you need to start the work. Um, when you want to draw, whether it's halfway through or at the end, uh, it's an easy email to our construction team. Uh, they'll arrange for a local inspector to go out to the property. They use the operator scope of work and they validate the either work done or percentage of work done, and then we wire those funds into the operator's account. What I typically see, and there's $179 cost for that inspection, um, but we do not dictate the number of inspections that need to be done per project. So if somebody can actually stomach a $25,000, or $40,000 rehab and just get one draw at the end, so they want their money back prior to listing, I see that a lot. Um, if somebody needs to break a $30,000 project into thirds, we will do that as well. Um, so that's the process that we do. So we're, we, we're trying to avoid having the receipts and invoices and, and I can't get out to, you know, to the property. Maybe you're doing, um, maybe you're flipping remotely, right? Like you do. And so can't necessarily go let somebody in or, 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 or whatever, or you be there to take the pictures to send to us virtually. And so, um, we, we, we feel that this, this process is very similar uh, to how most institutional lenders do it, how most banks do it. Um, is it like how your you know, dentist, the dentist at the donut shop does it? No, they, they front all the rehab money. They don't want to deal with administrative uh, uh, rehab draw processes, et cetera. But that's how we do ours. Yeah, I, I've, you know, in my experience, it's been very painless. 
um, you know, we, we submit the information the inspector goes out there, checks it off and the money comes then that same and day or next day. Something. It's very, very fast. If they've missed something, you know, we have the ability to either on the spot correct it, right? Because we can see that it's done and maybe they just, they missed it, right? And so they went through their, their picture took it, took full credit of it, but they didn't, but for some reason they just missed on the percentage. The other thing I get asked on the construction process is, let's say, you know, do we pay for partial money on a line item, for example, uh, rough plumbing? Right, so you're not going to complete the plumbing, obviously, for, until the end. But most of the plumbing line item is probably in the rough stage, right? So that's 80% of it. Will we pay, you know, 80% of that? And the answer is yes. And so, as opposed to waiting for a line item to be 100% done before we pay it, so we we pay it as it's progressed, as opposed to waiting until, uh, a, you know, in a linear fashion, if you will. Yeah, what I've noticed is the the better I have my paperwork in order and my submission and my my request and all that stuff, it's an order that you get the inspector in, the money just comes right away. So it's not a, and, and if you can get some like net 30 terms or some better terms with a lot of your vendors, then you don't even see a lot of out-of-pocket expenses. So we have some techniques that we talk through in the mastermind group about how to, how to, how to be- take a benefit from this and not feel like you're having to come up with all the money, like, you know, $10,000, $20,000 at a time uh, to figure out how to do that. So there's a lot of different techniques and, and behind the scenes stuff for us as flippers and uh, that we can use. So um, what, another question is, are non-recourse uh, loans still available or are they all um, P- a PG now? It's usually a personal choice. Uh, there's a cost to, um, if, if you're at the five flip level and above, you have the option um, of, of not personally guaranteeing the loan. There's a hundred basis point increase to rate to do that. Whereas that option does not exist below five flips. What I, what I try to educate people, uh, since we're recording, I'll, I'll save that education for people individually, but, um, you know, we've closed over 21,000 loans. I think we've roughly went to foreclosure on maybe 140, 150. Um, we've always been able to have the property solve the issue. Right, so we, we've never had to engage the, the personal guarantee portion um, because the property has been able to resolve paying us in 21,000 loans. So if somebody, I mean, the only time I really see it is when you have a multi-multi-member entity and somebody's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking on everything for everybody here, right? That's when, when it's more typical. Like the single member entity kind of, I scratch my head going, this kind of doesn't make sense based on the stats that I just gave you. Yeah. Um, let's see, to lend on a property, um, does the, is it where the property is or where the, um, where the investor is? So where the property. person lives? Yeah. yeah, so somebody can live in a non, somebody can live in Indiana, do business in Ohio and we're, go, and we're cool with that. They can't do the opposite. Awesome. Uh, while we're here, there's a, there's a bunch of people watching it, like in our, uh, we're live on Facebook in the seven figure house flipping and wholesaling group. So I'm, I'm monitoring that too. So if you guys have questions that you're on there, you can just put them in the comments there on Facebook and I'll make sure that we get those answered too. And the other thing that I want to say is if we have, if I'm skipping your questions and we're not answering them, it's because we already answered them and you may have come on a little bit late to the call. So I'm just going to ask that you go back and, and listen, we'll send out the recording to those of you that have registered or are on it. So I just asked, that you go back and listen to it or uh, see it on in the Facebook group um, just because I'm not going to ask Ray to answer the same questions over and over again. Um, here, here's one, and I don't, I, you and I have not talked about this actually. Do you anticipate going back to 100% funding for uh, the mastermind group? I anticipate it. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't have a date. Um, 
but I, I, I think like everything, um, we were able to get there for a number of reasons, right? The market was acceptable to it. Our, our, our performance, your performance, your group, et cetera, was acceptable to it. I think the, the same thing will, will continue to take place, you know, going forward. So, you know, we're, we are looking to get back to more of a business as usual. And so, and, and that is having a, a truly defined credit policy that also allows for um, some, some strategic flexibility based on uh, performance, right? And based on um, so, sort of logical data, as opposed to that person's a good guy. You know, what, what we're not going to do is go back to the kind of the grading scales. Back, I, I used to work for a subprime company. And even before that, you know, how could a, a, a Wall Street company, when somebody was something was considered A paper or B paper or C paper, they, the, the performance varied, the, the underwriting varied. We have to have a consistency around that. So when we reach that, we absolutely, you know, plan to get back to that at some point. Yeah. And uh, the person that asked this, I can tell you that I will be on Ray's tail the whole time, pushing him to figure out how to do it as fast as possible. So. I mean, you, you, that line is so long, so <laughs> they're going to have to cut. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, here's another one. Are lending homes loans still considered a cash at sale, a point of transaction? If not, I might have to change my contract. I don't know, necessarily know that that's a question for Ray. That's more of a question for uh, like the title company, whoever you're running your contract through. For us, um, it, we treat it as cash. A hard money loan is cash. Um, it's not, uh, the, the difference for us when we put it on the contract is are we making it contingent on financing? Basically, at least... It's state by state. Every contract is a little bit different. Every title company, you may have to do an addendum saying that you're going to bring in a loan, but they can close faster than most, like any small bank, private bank, even private money lenders. A lot of times I, I can get it done with, with there, there's, there are some documents that have to be signed to go through the title company and things like that. So just talk to your title company, bring it up, but we'll submit a cat in Florida. I can submit one that says cash. It just, all it does is say that I'm waiving my financing contingency so they can keep my ENB if I don't get financing. Yeah. So we will, we will not, we will not make the contract be changed because we're financing something on a, a purchase agreement that says cash. We will that's, that's irrelevant. Yeah, so, the, so on their side, they don't care. Um, the only time that I've seen it become an issue is if the title company or yeah. the seller uh, oh, makes it an I issue. Um, Matt, I think the answer is no. Uh, if, if we're local to our property, can we do a video walkthrough and cut out the inspector? I'm sure they, they want to see their inspector go. Um, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in our, it's in our charter and our covenants that we, you know, the reason why we have to be the one ordering the appraisal, whether it's post-funding or pre-funding, we say that we will. That's what we commit to doing, uh, within our credit policy. Similarly in the, um, credit policy. We now that, that, does that mean that we'll forever do that? We're always working on ways of being able to make that process better, faster, smoother. Um, but currently, as it stands, we have to own that process. Awesome. The, there's one here about um, multi-member LLCs. So we talked about it with like credit and things like that. What if one of them has experience and the other one has the credit? Does ever can can they like share like that, or does does one member have to have the experience and the credit? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, if you have two members of an entity and 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 as long as 25% is that point of uh, sort of demarcation, right? So if you are at least a 25% member of an entity, then you have the ability to be the personal guarantor. So um, if that's the person who has the credit, but the other person, you know, has has the um, um, uh, the experience. Maybe that's the reason why they're, you know, pulling themselves together anyway. So as long as the, you know, the entity is structured that way, what can't happen is let's say the experienced person doesn't meet our credit policy, right? And then they add the 800 FICO to the entity. We would wait six months before we could allow that addition or that corporate resolution, if you will, to uh, take place as it relates to what we would allow. But if somebody went out and, 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 and formed a new entity today, then we would use the guarantor's FICO, whoever that member is, as long as they're 25% or greater, and then all of the uh, flipping experience for both of those members over that 24-month period of time. That makes sense. Yeah. Not just adding a, a shell person on there at, with a yeah, I mean, credit score. I, I know it probably is, you know, it, it might be a shell game, but it's just, it's, it's, I'm, I'm defining how we can do it and then I'm defining how we can't do it. So hopefully that was a enough of a definition of how we can. Yeah. What about um, lending to uh, an IRA or 401k? So can they flip in their IRA and 401k and get loans from you guys? Um, I, I think that the, the main answer to that is if the IRA is a member of the entity, the answer is no. Okay. So if, the, if, the, if it's buying in the IRA, they're using IRA money, that's okay. Because we don't source where money is coming from. The down payment just has to come from the borrower, obviously, from, through escrow, but we're not going to source the funds and ask them for um, explanations for that. But if the IRA is the member, there are stipulations within um, those requirements that we're not, we, we can't lend to. Okay. I know some uh, that are still available and I can, I can tell them where to go if they need to, but... Um, it's not with us. Yeah, I have a I have a question on that that I'm I'm saving uh, for a second here. So uh, somebody asked about the mastermind group. Says we keep mentioning it. What is it all about? Can you tell me more about it? So I'll real quick. Like the whole the whole purpose of this was to bring on, come on and give you guys information, not necessarily sell anything. So I, I certainly want to be cognizant of that. But um, we we have two mastermind groups. So we have the seven figure runway group, which is open every October at an event that we have called Flip Hacking Live. And um, about it's there, our members are six months in. So these are the people who have done less than ten deals per year, um, less than about $200,000 in kind of gross profit and just getting going, like have never done a deal or have only done a couple, kind of what Ray's talking about. They're kind of the, the borrowers that are under those five flips. Maybe they've done six or seven flips or, or maybe they're doing them. They're just not consistently doing deals and they need that, that foundation. So we open that group up in October. We'll open it up again at our event called Flip Hacking Live in October 15th through the 17th in Orlando. Um, it's a live event, three day live event. Fantastic for anybody who hasn't been. Um, Ray was there last year. Uh, Lending Home was a, a fantastic sponsor of the event last year. And I'm sure we'll, we'll do that same thing again. And then um, we also have the seven figure altitude group, which is open all the time for the more experienced people. So, um, and you can check that stuff out on sevenfigureflipping.com. So um, we have just rolled out kind of a video series uh, recently on just some different videos that we've used inside the runway and altitude groups that now you can kind of check out on sevenfigureflipping.com. So uh, go there, check it out. Um, you can talk to somebody, put in some information if that's something you're interested in. Um, let's see, somebody, uh, let's see, Eddie said, 
Uh, Eddie, no, your, your account is still active. He said, I, I've done some deals with you. I did a deal with you guys in the past, or I haven't done a deal with Lending Home in a few months uh, since you guys changed your terms, but do I have to re-sign up for anything or is my account still active, like my line of credit still active? Yeah, the approvals are good for 12 months. Uh, we re-pull a FICO every six. Um, so if he's approved in the last 12 months, he should be still good to go. Um, but obviously the terms that he probably has, has on his term sheet from when he was approved, uh, no longer apply. Um, they're going to go to what, what they were uh, on, on March 23rd. But from the approval standpoint, you know, he doesn't have to uh, re-qualify from a flipping standpoint or anything else. So what's the process then to, to figure out what those new terms are since March 23rd? Just email, uh, email somebody at Lending Home? What's the plan? Yeah, if what's they're the already working with somebody, just you know, reach out to the, uh, the salesperson that helped them kind of get approved. Just go, hey, you know, can you, can you uh, give me a call and walk through you know, process flow, uh, terms, et cetera? Uh, you know, maybe they're in a market that we can be more favorable in, uh, like California. Um, we don't have any market that we that we ding, lack of a better word, um, but California is just a more favorable market from a lending standpoint. So we pass along those, uh, the, some of those rate savings to some folks. Um, but yeah, that's the first thing that I would do is, is, and certainly if, you know, if they don't have or can't find their, their contact person, I will answer the question, right, for them. That's, that's not a problem. And then I will direct okay. appropriately. Great. And at the end, we'll share some of your uh, contact information for them so they can get a hold of you if you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, the, so uh, Imran said, uh, has a good comment here that I just want to share with everybody. He said he went through this as a wholesaler and flipper in 2008 and nine, just kind of like, um, obviously a, a shift and change. Like we're seeing, it's just a change. It's something different right now. What happened is a new group of all cash buyers came out of hibernation and replaced some of the leverage buyers. So he said, those cash buyers are out there waiting for this, a market like this. So sell, sell some contracts to them. So if you're a wholesaler on the call, I think that's really interesting because when I read that, where it took me to was we're, um, as wholesalers now, we're starting to see um, some of the people who are, are need the leverage and the leverage change. So there could be either exiting or, or re rerunning their numbers where those end cash buyers are out there. And we may have kind of uh, gotten soft on our disposition side, our buyers list, things like that. So these are new cash buyers. So if you're constantly networking and getting out there and watching who's buying in the neighborhood still right now and could be using all cash. These could be people that might not be on your list that you need to keep your eye out and keep the radar going. They're pro if they're coming out of hibernation now because other people can't get money, it's probably because they don't want to pay the prices that the other people were paying before. So they might be paying less, but it's something from a tactical side. And this is like, I'm all data. I'm all numbers. You, you mentioned a ton of data. Like you guys are, run I'm just looking every single week. What are our numbers look like? What's happening? What's the feedback that we're getting? It's supply and demand, just like you guys have. You guys are like the, the wholesaler in the, in the lending marketplace and we're the wholesalers in the house marketplace. Uh, so I'm really trying to just feel the pulse of what's going on. Like you said, you guys cut pretty deep and then went, well, this, is, this isn't really working. So we need to make a change. So same thing for us. Um, you know, we're kind of looking at the demand and that's controlling the supply for me. And then if we have to adjust our numbers, we do. Um, what about, somebody asked about larger packages of properties, like providing acquisition funding, or are you just doing single family? Uh, like if I have a 10 deal uh, package. I mean, we, we, we do those, we do those occasionally and not because, you know, we're not trying to get them. It's just that most, most of our operators don't come across large packs of loans, right? So we treat anything that's greater than four properties in a pack a bit differently. So uh, we definitely have to have the properties appraised prior to um, uh, versus the, uh, so it's a, a pre-close appraisal versus a post-close appraisal. Um, have to understand the exit strategy. So if somebody's buying, you know, nine properties to refinance into a rental, 
uh, we're going to need to see proof that they can do that, right? And so prior to it, it's have you done it before? We could probably see through um, our data sources that, oh, yep, looks like you did this before like eight months ago and you sold it to that local bank. Um, now we would probably need to have some level of um, commitment letter uh, from the bank on those properties, you know, within a reasonable time frame that they will, will be able to offer funds to that borrower. So outside of that, are we doing that? The answer is yes. Great. Um, Brad asked, uh, it's, it seemed more for me, I'm from Canada and want to invest in the US, how to start. Brad, my recommendation to you is to go in that uh, free group that we have, that um, Facebook group. So uh, seven figure house flipping and wholesaling and ask that question in there. We got quite a few Canadian real estate investors in our mastermind group. That would be, I'll tag them in there and they'd be great people to, to help you out depending on where you are in Canada. Um, we have quite a few uh, folks from Canada that come to our event at Flip Hacking Live every year. Um, they're really big players in the marketplace there. And we have some that invest uh, from Canada down here in the US. So they, they have a better answer for it than I do. Um, let's see, Matt asked, uh, I, I hate to ask this, but you guys don't do business in Louisiana. Can you recommend a company or two or a reputable site to search for companies that lend similar to yours in Louisiana? So I know I, we've, we kind of went through that on the podcast that we did. You were very open with, you know, hey, reach out to me. I might have somebody who, um, who I might be able to recommend for you, or um, I might get, be able to give you some advice or something like that. So it's, this is probably a question that a lot of people have is you lend in half the country. What, what about, like, what do we do in these other areas? I got one from Utah. I've got some other people from all around that, that are asking about these states. And so I'm going to ask that question with, for all of the people that are on here that you don't lend in is like, what do you recommend? Like how, maybe how to find a, a reputable uh, lender, how to find somebody that we should be working with or like kind of what to look for. Yeah. Some States, unfortunately are easier than others. And, and I would obviously a lot of this is sort of pre pandemic. Um, I'm very comfortable telling somebody to go to, you know, Lima one or civic or RCN because they're just, they're approved there. Right. And they're good operators and they're good companies, et cetera. Um, I'm, I could not tell you one company that is in Louisiana. I mean, that, that's way too specific. There's others that are kind of getting into like Mississippi and Alabama along the South. I, I, I honestly think Alabama is one of the states of the eight. Uh, I'd have to check. I know there was an A state, um, but um, because just because of from a business standpoint. So I, I'd have to, you know, I have a private money person that um, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with, but I'd have to check the data that he gave me as it relates to the MSAs that he's um, higher on, because uh, I, I don't remember it, 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 it possessing uh, a Louisiana MSA. Yeah, my, my, biggest, my biggest response to that is like, go out, network, yeah. reach out to some people, underwrite them, figure it, get some referrals, figure out how they, how they do if they're good operators. The other thing is network inside of your area, like talk to the other people, who are they using? Maybe there's a, a small local bank that uh, lends fix and flip. Maybe there's, uh, you know, I, I've done, I've done some great deals with regional banks and smaller banks that keep the loans in house and they have an appetite for that and may have changed recently. Um, right. But, and, and then just figure out, learn how to raise your own money too. So there's, uh, I mean, that, that, that stuff's gold. We, you know, if you can raise money uh, on, um, you know, fixed interest levels, uh, adjust your payment terms, you can kind of name that stuff. So um, for Matt, I would recommend, you know, do, do that kind of stuff, see who the, the heavy operators are. You can pull that data, like look at all the transactions that have happened and see who the mortgage holders are on properties when you pull that data. So that's, that's what I do a lot of. I really kind of look and dive in, deep dive into the data to see, 
like who, who is the mortgage holders so who, and if I see somebody's name come up over and over and over again, they're probably a local hard money lender. So I can reach out to them. And that's, that's my recommendation for you, especially if Ray doesn't know an institution in Louisiana, then you're going to have to figure that out for sure. Yeah. I just did a little bit of research. It, I mean, I know Lima one may have stopped lending temporarily, but they actually have a presence in Louisiana. So. Okay. There you go. Um, if you guys have any more questions, drop them in. Um, and we're pretty much wrapping up here on time. So if there's some last minute questions or some uh, things that you guys want me to ask Ray, I will. Uh, I, as far as I, I've gotten to almost all the questions, if, like I said, if I haven't answered you, it's probably because we already answered them. Uh, someone, someone else asked if somebody is trying to transition from a day job to a full-time flipper, um, how would you look at any income situ, uh, situation? So um, do, you guys, do you guys even look at income? We don't. It's- yeah. FICO and equity of property. And then if they're uh, at or above five flips, it's flips. So, yeah. So, and, and this, this is Matt as well in Louisiana. So Matt, uh, like this, the regional bank and the local banks, they're going to look at, uh, they're going to look at income for sure. Yep. They're going to, I've done a couple of those deals. They are going to close in somewhere around 20 to 30 days, 20 days if they're really good, 30 days if they're okay. And then um, they're, they're basically asking me for my personal financial statement, my W-2s, my 1099s, basically everything. They're pulling my credit, all that stuff. So it definitely is, um, it, it's, the, uh, it's the full glove treatment on, uh, on a loan, which drives me nuts. So yeah. um, I'm, I, I'll pay a little bit more for the less hassle usually. So, um, but see what you can do. So see who you can find. All right. Um, anything, anything that we didn't cover, Ray? I think the biggest thing that I want to leave everybody with is, you know, how can I have the confidence that, you know, specifically lending home, if I write an offer that you're gonna fulfill the commitment, right? With so many lenders that probably I, I called my buddy at such and such and they were at this lender. And then two days later after he told me, no problem, we're going to be here. Then the garage doors down. And so I can confidently tell you because of how we're structured, right? From a securitization standpoint, I know the runway we have. I know the inflow of new business, the, the kind of the outflow of payoffs or the inflow of payoffs, et cetera, that we have the capital infrastructure, the securitization infrastructure, the technology infrastructure and the personnel infrastructure to deliver on the commitment when you go out the terms I just you know covered in, in the meeting today we will be able to deliver on that's that's the biggest thing that I can you know communicate to somebody is just the confidence level that we will be here to help you through this period and then when we come out on the on 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 the back side of this thing whenever that will be you know it will be you know, even better, but first we have to make it through this period of time and we want to be able to be that resource to you. It's, it's more painful because of more down payment. Yes. Uh, but at least from a process flow standpoint, you know, getting from point A to B, we, we, we hope that we can be one of those resources for this group. We know awesome. we can. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you went there because that, that's a, there's a lot of misinformation out there of like this lender shutting down. This lender is not going to be around in two weeks. There's, um, they, they have no, they're not capitalized at all. There's, there's, it's, it seems like there's a lot of stone throwing that's going on in the lending space right now for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why, um, but, and maybe they're just trying to take uh, market share from each other. And um, I, I'm glad that that didn't happen on this call. Like uh, you, you're not even mentioning the, the companies that have closed their doors that have stopped that have put a pause break, stuff like that. So, I mean, I think that goes to show like 
Ray, obviously the relationship that we have, I really appreciate it. Everything that you've done for our members and, and myself over the past few years uh, has always been a stand-up guy, always been, um, do, do things with really high integrity. And that means a lot to me because um, even on the podcast that we did, uh, setting up for Flip Hacking Live and talking about your company, you were naming all the other companies that do a great job. And so it's never like, let me throw this person under the bus to make ourselves look better. And that's really the way that I try to do things as well. So, um, there, there's a, there's a couple more questions. So let me, let me ask one of them. And I think I can answer it real quick. It's about the appraisal. So you do a pre-closing like desktop uh, run and then you, they close. He says that if the post-closing appraisal changes, how does that affect my loan? So I think it's important to touch on that because some other people might have that question too. Yeah. Uh, the answer is it doesn't. So if, so if an operator's at five plus flips, we're going to do essentially an internal valuation. You're going to know that within a couple of days, that's the value we fund on. After the loan closes, we do the property inspection. We get the valuation report. That's a requirement of our warehouse bank. So let's say that the value came in, we thought $300,000, and then the BPO or the appraisal comes in at you know, 280. I'm making up a number. So we will, from an internal standpoint, try to reconcile that directly with the appraisal management company, but it absolutely has zero, zero, zero effect on that loan or any future loan that that person would send in. Meaning we're not going to say, woohoo, need to hold back your rehab funds till we sort this thing out. You'll probably never even know that that valuation report came in um, low. Yeah, I'll give you a couple examples. We, we had a house that was out in a little bit more rural space that we were uh, going through the loan process with you guys. The appraisal came or the desktop came back a little bit low. We showed a couple comps, had a conversation and, and then it was changed. Like it was, it was like nothing happened and we got it done. We, we, we managed the rehab, sold the house, made $35,000, paid off the loan and we were done. You know, yeah. it's already paid off. No problem. Yeah. The, the access to the data we have might not be as fresh as somebody super, super local in the market. And so that was a good example of where if we can get better information that we didn't have and we can see that it's verified, of course we're going to use that. What we can't use is somebody's going, I got a listing that's a mile away and that's exactly what my house is going to look like. It's like, well, we, we don't use listings. We use closed comparables. Yeah. And I think the, the, like I said, the better you're, the more prepared that you are, the more information that you have, we have the documentation, we yeah. could show that it, it worked out and no problem. And maybe the appraisal did come back afterwards, but we never heard about it. So just like you said, so yeah. I have no idea, you know, it's everything worked out fine. We were in good shape and we've already paid off the loan. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, there's a, there's a couple other questions, but we answered them all already. Um, so go back, like I said, go back and listen to it. Um, we've got it in our, in our Facebook group. We'll, we'll also have a link to uh, where you can watch the recording and things like that. And we'll put it out in different areas that we have. So, um, Ray, how can people get a hold of you if they, do you want to give out your, um, your information? Uh, I know we have a lot of people on the call. So, yeah, I mean, the email is Ray at lending home, R-A-Y, and then at lending home.com. Uh, um, I always will, if you're already working with somebody, please direct your phone calls to them. All right. Well, Ray, thank you so much. Um, is there anything else? Any last last minute things that you want to share before we kind of people that are on the East Coast? It's it's nine forty seven, and so if they're still hanging in doing that, then I just appreciate the investment of time, and I hope it, I made it worth um, their time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I usually keep them until like ten or ten thirty or something like that. So. <laughs> Um, no, uh, we're, we're not going to repeat the number, but we will, uh, you guys can go back and listen to it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and I'll make sure that we don't beep it out on the recording and everything like that. No so, worries. um, I just got, uh, 15 people say, can you give me your, um, your phone number again? So, um, well, Ray, thank you so much. And I appreciate you being kind of open and honest and, and yeah. 
you know, just the, seeing behind the curtain and understanding like why you guys do things and how it works. A lot of times it takes the sting off of us because we, we, we're doing the same thing. We're seeing the same thing in our business right now. We're having to make changes. We're having to make adjustments. And like when you can see it through the eyes of, uh, uh, of somebody else, it just, it kind of makes sense. Right. And so obviously when, um, these, these loans are kind of packaged and, and, and resold or, or purchased then that, that, that buyer is gone, then yep. you really have to start and you guys are projecting the future. It makes total sense. So, okay. Thanks so much guys for hanging out with us. I know um, all of you are busy. Things are going on. The, the one thing that I do want to leave you guys with is right now there's a lot of uh, like kind of talking heads. There's a lot of people going out there and using the uncertainty and things like that for, um, for their benefit. So really just kind of be careful of who you listen to, who you follow, those kind of things. Like really don't spend so much time on, I, know, I realize like I'm on a webinar telling you not to spend a bunch of time on webinars, but really kind of pick and choose where you're spending your time and, and what's going in. Like make sure you put the good stuff in, make sure that you're turning off the noise a lot of times and you're, uh, what, what's happening. I, I feel like a lot of us are feeling this anxiety, this uncertainty right now. And what we're doing is we're filling it up with more anxiety and more uncertainty from lots of different information from lots of different areas, especially the news, which I think is a total, uh, it will hurt you. It will, in the, the, your anxiety level and the amount of news that you intake is um, directly correlated. So don't forget to work on your business and really focus on, this is the time to focus on your skills, to build up your knowledge, to look at the data, to diagnose what's going on, think about the future. Uh, I just spent the last two days, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday with my EOS coach, for a whole day on Tuesday, a whole day on Wednesday in both of my companies. Tuesday was seven figure flipping this company. Wednesday was blackjack real estate. And that was a time where I had a choice. I could decide to, to invest that money and do it virtually like we did. Or I could say, I'm not paying that kind of money to have my coach come in and, and spend the day. And it's probably the best two days that I could have possibly spent for me and my team. Huge investment financially. More uh, uh, over those two days, we paid over $15,000 in two days. So if you guys can think about that, like this is the time where I should be conserving cash, but instead what I'm doing is I'm really investing in ourselves, our business, our time, those kind of things and that we are preparing for the next 90 days and thinking about lots of different contingency plans. There's nothing better to do right now than to work on the business. And don't forget that. Like, don't, don't forget to, st I, I'm, my foot is on the gas. I'm just trying to figure out where to drive the car. So yeah. That's my recommendation for all you guys out there. If you're still on this call, I appreciate you. I appreciate you spending time with us and obviously following me and everything that we're doing. And Ray, thank you and Lending Home. Uh, the relationship has been great. And um, if there's anything I can do for you guys, obviously um, I will. So, I appreciate it. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you very much. All, all right, I'll see you guys later. Bye. You've been listening to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. If you're ready to learn the house flipping and wholesaling strategies that are working right now in today's market, check out sevenfigureflipping.com.